Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 130, He's an Energy Sucker. This week we're discussing series 9, episode 2 of Doctor Who, The Witch's Familiar, and season 2, episode 13 of Angel, Happy Anniversary. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So we're talking about Doctor Who first this week. Yeah. Um, and I think you wanted to mention or talk a little bit about the titles to begin with, because uh, these uh, you sort of, well, I, I mean, I, I did kind of notice, but only because you sort of pointed it out <laughs> to like pay attention to the titles that mm -hmm. these are both um, nouns, right? We got um, the magician's apprentice last week and then now the witch is familiar. And I don't know if these refer to the same person or if they're different people. Right. Um, and in either case, who they might be referring to. Right. Um, I mean, I could guess and probably make something up, but I don't know that that would be based on any sort of like reasonable interpretation. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's worth uh, noticing for a couple reasons. One being, I mentioned that this season is uh, the season of two parters. So, every um, pair of stories through the whole season have these echoes. Um, so mm -hmm. each set of two um, have a kind of call response quality um, to them. So it's a kind of an interesting way to, to pair them. Um, so, and then the other thing being, um, so, I mean, obviously you have like, if the magician and the witch are, are paralleled, then you have apprentice and familiar sort of, parallel to each other sure. um which you know they're they're pairs and they're kind of echoes but they're not exactly equals like you know there's we tend to have like a gendered association of of a magician and a witch you know um mm. maybe not strictly so but like in general i feel like magician is masculine and witch is feminine um and then sure you know apprentice sounding more like a pupil or assistant or student or something like that, maybe even companion. Um, but then also like a familiar being more of like, like witches have familiar spirits, which are usually um, sometimes like, you know, demonic, but sometimes a benevolent, you know, benevolent spirit or sometimes like an animal that falls. So like witches that have cats or, um, or owls or whatever are, that's a familiar um, so sure. it can like either it does your evil bidding or it like assists you in whatever your, you know, magic is. So it could be yeah. like a neutral turn. So, you know, the pairs are interesting, but the kind of really interesting part is that there are no references to any of those things in <laughs> these episodes. Right. So, um, which is kind of interesting. Like I was all prepared, um, the magician's nephew is the thing that leaps to my mind. You know, when I hear magician's apprentice, I think C.S. Lewis and Narnia. Um, yeah. And uh, another one that somebody else pointed out was the sorcerer's apprentice is, um, you know, we know that, that it's that episode from Fantasia where, you know, mm -hmm. Mickey enchants the brooms and they get all out of control and everything. But that right. goes back to, 
a short story by Gert, apparently. Um, so that was a story that he wrote hmm. way back when, which I didn't know. Um, did but know now that. I do. So Dis- Disney adapted that. Um, and it's the same thing of like, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice does magic, which is out of his control. And the brooms, you know, kind of go wild and he can't stop them. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know that I have real concrete answers. I mean, I feel like they're kind of obviously left ambiguous. So, you know, you can kind of speculate and nobody can really tell anybody else that your theory is wrong necessarily. I feel like the only thing we have to go on for sure is um, there is one reference. I think the kind of, um, you know, medieval Saxon or whatever calls the doctor magician. Um so, you know, if he's the magician, then you have to kind of figure out, all right, who's the apprentice? Is it Davros, you know, young boy Davros being schooled in the ways of the doctor? Or is it Clara? Um, you know, Missy seems like a good candidate for a witch. Does that make Clara her familiar, you know, that she kind of follows her around? And is this like Dalek, you know, companion who's helping her do stuff? I don't know. I'm just sort of... Um, speculating those are my thoughts i don't i don't think you can necessarily prove any of them right or wrong but um it kind of it's 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 ambiguous enough and i think like kind of they're weird enough titles that it it invites you to speculate without necessarily telling you one way or the other right um right and i think um So, like, if I were to guess, like, you know, Missy as the witch and Clara as the familiar seems to work pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think for the Doctor, I do kind of like the idea of Davros being the apprentice there. Like, if the Mm -hmm. Doctor is the magician. Yeah. And Davros is the apprentice because... One of the things that you get, you know, which you don't get until this episode necessarily, mm-hmm. is um, is sort of the... Now, I mean, okay, so Davros is kind of playing him, but then we learn, like, that the Doctor is counterplaying him or whatever you want to call that. Right, um, right. But you get, you get the sort of sense from Davros, um, like, where he, especially that part, where he's like, you know, what was I good? You know, did I do, um, you know, a good thing? Yeah. Am I a good person? Uh, yeah. Because, like, there's that, um, there's that whole section where he's talking about, like, you know, a, a man should have a people, right? Like, mm. he should have someone he's with, and you know, he s- says that he's happy, and then he says, um, uh you know, uh, take the darkest path into the deepest hell, but protect your own as I have sought to protect mine. Did I do right, doctor? Tell me, was I right? Like that to me, that reads as like a student asking a teacher, did I do good? Is this what you were trying to teach me all along? Kind of thing. And I think there is a sense there, um, you know, where you have the doctor and Davros sort of being, um, diametrically opposed right like that's the whole oh i wish for just once we were on the same side Mm -hmm. (laughs) um 
you have this sense of the two of them being diametrically opposed for like their whole lives, but that like going back now, especially now and seeing like the doctor actually saves him and takes him with him, takes mm-hmm. Stavros with him. Yeah. Uh, now you see that like maybe they're without Davros knowing it later until, mm-hmm. you know, much later when he sees the doctor's face now that like maybe there is a period there of instruction and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, apprenticeship, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, so like it does seem to me like that there's something uh apprentice-like about that sort of question or student-like about that question um right you know the you know i need to know am i a good man did i do right like you know these are Mm -hmm. the things um and when looking in that that aspect and you see like okay in a sense no because like you've like genetically modified all these creatures into these hateful you know whatever um so no but on the other hand like you see like this is his version of what he sees the doctor is doing of you know yes it was a dark path but i did what i needed to to protect the people i needed to protect to us obviously it's a sort of perversion of that idea but right when you when you sort of understand that that's what he sees himself doing or at least yeah. what he says he sees himself doing, because again, he's playing the doctor here. So like right. maybe he doesn't actually believe this, but I, right. The fact that he thinks that this is the way to get to the doctor seems to seems to draw a connection again yeah. that has that sort of student or apprentice quality to it that like like why would he go down that route if there weren't some connection in that way to begin with you know what i mean like why would he even attempt to make the doctor think that he was drawing that connection between themselves right yeah i and i want to talk a little bit later about like davros's sincerity or insincerity in this episode but um that makes me think too like it it is that kind of perverted like you know like you know if if we can agree or most people can agree that you know patriotism love for your country and your people is a positive thing but then you know something like you know nazism being a a perversion of that like mm-hmm. you know the Nazis loved their country too, but it wasn't like a good thing because it was about, you know, it was love of your country to the, to the detriment of everyone else. It was like, you know, and I feel like that's kind of Davros's if, if, if he and the Daleks have this kind of Nazi ideology, um, you know, of, of hatred of everything else, that's his sort of perverted kind of love for his people. Like he loves his people too, but he yeah. hates everybody else. So yeah. it's like he may be sincere in his love and that might be, or at least that's his interpretation of what, you know, yeah. patriotism should be. But, well, um, and it's that, but, but it's the, the nasty echo of that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And there, so that reminds me of um, the left hand of darkness uh, from mm-hmm. Ursula Le Guin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where there's a lot of talk about that, where there's, you know, part of, um, 
one of the characters, uh, Tide, who is uh, like, yeah, promoting that sort of like Uber, like, like it's the difference, I guess, between patriotism and nationalism, where it's, right. you know, like patriotism is like, yes, it's good to be a patriot and to love your country and whatever. But when you become a nationalist, you sort of glorify boundaries yeah. over, uh, you know, political boundaries over, you know, sort of people and and yeah. outsiders and that sort of thing. And so, right. you know, it's one thing to be in love with the countryside and the, mm-hmm. you know, place where you grew up. And of course, you're going to have emotional attachment to that. It's another thing to sort of have these arbitrary lines that you've drawn, you know, become, yeah. uh, you know, sort of to sort of objectify them and make make them the thing that you're worshiping more than the people and the places around you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like patriotism is, you know, I love my country. Nationalism is like, you have to love my country too. Yeah. You know, like it, it's that like, or well, fear it. <laughs> it, it, it. Right. And if you don't, you know, then we'll, you know, force you or, or, you know, coerce you or scare you into loving it. So, um, yeah, you can kind of see how, like, it's not that Davros is just like the Doctor, but he's more like a twisted version of, it's sort of like, if he's the Doctor's apprentice, it's like he got the wrong, you know, message out sure. of the lessons. Like, he kind of understood some aspects, but they became, you know, <clears throat> twisted. And and I don't know that the Doctor ever, like... <coughs> You know, that does not say the doctor specifically taught him to love his people. But I feel like with Davros, he's kind of saying, look, we're alike. I love my people just like you love yours. To him, he doesn't see, you know, the difference. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And and so I think, you know, taking that, uh, I mean, well, first of all, you know, there are plenty of examples of like student gone wrong, you know, right. in that sort of regard. So I think, I think that still sort of fits with that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, anyway, I guess, so let's move on though and talk a little bit about, um, you know, talk a little bit about the sort of character stuff a bit because I want to, um, I guess I want to talk about Clara and Missy first, kind of because, mm-hmm. especially Clara, I think we don't see as much as maybe I would have expected in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you and you even mentioned just as we were sort of setting things up here and, and getting ready to talk that Clara seems a little um, passive or mm-hmm. uh, yeah, whatever in this episode. So, um, I mean, first off, so. You know, I had sort of, I can't remember if I said this to you while we were recording or if it was afterwards, um, that, you know, this is the first story of the new season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the end of the first episode, they sort of like, you know, shoot the moon. They like get rid of Mm -hmm. Clara. They get rid of Missy. They get rid Mm -hmm. of the TARDIS, uh, you know. And there's always a sense of like, well, not always, but often a sense of, mm-hmm. uh, okay, they're going to get them back. So it's not like, 
it's not like we're surprised that we see Clara and Missy mm-hmm. and eventually the TARDIS again. It's mm-hmm. how does that happen? You know, so right. what's the sort of path that they take? Well, right. um, of course, we start right off with Clara and Missy. Um, mm-hmm. Clara hanging by her heels and Missy sort mm-hmm. of sharpening a stick nearby, um, <laughs> which is very ominous. Menacing her with her yeah. pointy stick, yeah. Um, but I like the way... I mean, I kind of like the way that we, and this this maybe even sort of reinforces the familiar aspect of it, right? Is we get Missy sort of in didactic mode uh, mm-hmm. because she's like, okay, well, what do you what do you know about the doctor? Like, let me get, let me give you this situation, and you, as the student, like think right. think of a way out of it. Here's a little thought pro, a little uh, thought experiment for you, and. You know, so we get like the story of the doctor like escaping these, you know, whatever, um, whatever they are, uh, android assassins, right? And mm-hmm. you know, okay, so here's the situation. It's like you know, a locked room mystery. Like, how do you how do you get out of this, or how would how would the doctor get out of this? And you know, yeah. so Clara figures it out, and and um, not only that, but like figures out like why you know why does the doctor why is he able to get out of things and and oh well it's because he always assumes he's going to win so let's assume we're going to win (laughs) and you know figure out a way to survive and that kind of thing so um i mean i like that but like unfortunately that's like the biggest interaction they have i mean they continue so so then they you know kind of go along and and you know they find the sewers and missy pushes her in and that's kind of funny um obviously Mm -hmm. but you know you get clara sort of um you know counter menacing her with the stick Mm -hmm. and missy just kind of takes it away from her and then like from there it's like clara is just kind of like not doesn't do a whole lot (laughs) sure yeah it it definitely I found it a little frustrating at, at at least at the first watch of yeah, pass is the word I used because um it seems like she's being you know, pushed around by Missy a lot. Like um you know, she's hanging from the rope and then she's pushed down the you know, hole in the floor and then she's cuffed to the wall and then she's pushed in the Dalek and then she can't open the Dalek and, and it's like you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm used to Clara being a very, um, bossy control freak, I guess. Like I'm used to her having her self together and being very, um, not very easy to push around. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of still processing again. I, you know, this episode only premiered, you know, a month or two months ago or something Mm. so you know i'm i've had less time to and the season wrapped just uh two days ago yeah so um i'm i'm still processing what this is supposed to be saying about clara's character development um so the first time it definitely struck me as frustrating that like you know i kind of wish she would you know be more active you know have like you say just have something more more to do not even necessarily do anything in particular just more of it um yeah well and even like 
like the fact that Clara is um, coerced, uh, influenced, whatever, into getting into the Dalek. Yeah. Uh, like that just doesn't seem like something that would happen. And of course, I mean, on the one hand, I I do sort of like the symbolism of it, in insofar right. as like the first time we saw Clara as Oswin right. Oswald. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, was as a Dalek. So yeah, there was a little bit like, and this, and this goes to why I sort of modified, you know, my statement before of like, always knowing that they're going to be like coming back. It's like, Oh, well, wait a minute. Actually we've seen Clara as a Dalek before. So yeah, maybe, maybe there's something here, you know, that's a well, bigger storyline, but the, yeah, you know, the other thing, <clears throat> um, the other thing I was just going to say was that, like, I don't know. I just, it just, it feels like she goes from being like, okay, so she talks her way out of, you know, being strung up by Missy. And mm-hmm. and also there's, there's the sense that, like, I'm not entirely sure how sincere or not Missy is, too. Like, you know, forget mm-hmm. the Davros's sincerity. Like, right. I don't know Missy's sincerity. So, right. like... You know, thinking back to last episode where she, you know, I've not turned good, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, she goes extra Scottish yeah, in that like, line. Yeah, yeah. You have to sort of remember that, that she's not yeah. good and that she is the doctor's friend, but she's also tried to kill the doctor. And like, right. she thinks of Clara as a pet, basically, you know. Right. So right. like, and not even like, not like a lovable pet, but she thinks of clara is like a pet that it wouldn't matter to her if the pet never right she's the the, every every miner needs a canary like if if we get poisoned you'll do it first so i can get out of here like that's and that's maybe the familiar role is you're you're my so i mean i think one of the things that's interesting about it is that it it's a doctor companion relationship but again perverted like sure you know, Miss, Missy kind of talks Clara through, you know, figuring out a plan, sort of like the doctor does. And they kind of sort of work as a team, but not really because, you know, it's not that Missy puts Clara in more danger than the doctor would, mm. but but it's all, you know, you can see the difference of how Clara reacts to it. Because with the doctor, Clara is happy to put herself in danger for him or for the situation or whoever they're fighting for. Whereas here it's Missy saying, you know, I mean, the doctor uses his companions as bait all the time, but he doesn't necessarily surprise handcuff to handcuff them to the wall and like literally use them as bait for a dollar. Right. Like it's like the dark mirror version of what the doctor does, you know? Um, You know, so in that sense, I kind of, that makes me like the passiveness a little bit more because it's like, she's the companion, but like not how the companion should be. Like the companion should be taking a more active role in whatever the adventure is. Like this is like Missy, this is Missy's version of having a companion. You're the thing I pull along with me to help me do what I want to do. Um, and, like, you can't ever really trust her because, yeah, like, she's using Clara 
like yeah the plan is to get up back up into the you know dalek you know headquarters and so the way to do that is you get in the dalek and pretend that you've captured me and everything right but but you also have the moments when she's also ready to sell clara out because you know she'll use her but she doesn't necessarily like her so she'll tell the doctor oh this is the one that killed her you know maybe the doctor will exterminate her wouldn't that be funny like right you know she's it, it's that chaotic thing of she's not necessarily going to kill you if you're useful but she's also not really your friend either um mm -hmm. you know and she, it's hard not to like her because she's funny you know so i feel like even by the time you get to the end of that opening scene and clara's like can i have a stick it's sort of like <laughs> like you've forgotten that this is the bad guy and you're kind of like oh this is going to be fun it's the girls off on an adventure but you know i think by the end you're kind of you know reminded of that missy is actually not one of your heroes and she's not actually trustworthy um right at least as far as Claire is concerned, maybe she really does want to rescue the doctor, but you know, she seems not too worried about <clears throat> whether Clara makes it out. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in that regard, like I'm not, you know, again, I'm still not sure what exactly her motivations are. Cause like, right. Okay. So she got, you know, she got the confession dial and she came to help the doctor, I guess, you know, in mm -hmm. some respect, but it's not really clear what, why she wants to do that. <laughs> like. Yeah. I mean, I, that seems to me the, the motivation is, yeah, to rescue the doctor. Um, but I mean, like. So that they can go on trying to kill each other. Like yeah. her them them having a kind of tom and jerry relationship is way more fun than having a dead doctor i think like to it her, seems like yeah. to her like yeah i think that's their you know she wants him free so that they can carry on having this like you know mutually destructive frenemyship or whatever you would call it i don't even know <laughs> yeah it's not a friendship, you know, but it's right. not exactly, uh, what do they call it? A hate ship either. It's this sort of like, well, it's the thing at the end. Um, I want to talk about the hybrid, but Missy makes a reference to the enemy and the friend, the friend and the enemy, you know, like, you know, I mean, she's BSing to try to get herself out of trouble, but like, you kind of feel like that is her relationship with the doctor is you know not really one or the other or is some sort of combination of of the two things right um hmm. so and so the only other thing which um i want to point out uh also like i do like you said like the echo of oswin at oswald in the the, the Dalek shell. And it, it even makes me kind of wonder is, is Oswin, you know, in the Dalek because this happened to Clara? Like when, when Clara jumps into, you know, the time stream and gets scattered, are all the different Claras in the universe like echoes of specific, 
maybe events in her life or aspects of her personality. So like, you know, Victoria and Clara is a nanny because Clara was, you know, and maybe Oswin was in a Dalek because Clara was in a Dalek at one mm. point. Like that to me just sort of makes sense. Like they would all have some sort of aspect of her. Um, sure. But the other thing I wanted to point out about the one other thing I kind of like about her being passive and part of it is me trying to talk myself into liking it, but, um, <laughs> cause I didn't like it at first. Sure. Um, but, uh, her, the way she starts hanging upside down, um, a lot of people kind of jumped on that as the, the kind of image of hanging and specifically hanging upside down being, a hanged man reference like on the the tarot cards the hanged mm. man is he's always upside down um and i actually looked up sort of what that symbolizes and it's about it is about passivity but in the sense of like acceptance you know like you're sort of not and, and for clara the controlling person it's kind of about not trying to control everything but about letting go and sort of accepting you know uh going with the flow of your life rather than sort of trying to micromanage it sure. um so you know that was one thing as i watched the season i was trying to think of like is is that what she is starting to do or is that what she should be supposed to be doing or should we be thinking about that in terms of her changing character and everything um and I'm not necessarily saying that's right or wrong, but, you know, maybe that is one of the reasons why she's kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how convinced I am by it, but um, <laughs> at least for this episode. Um, well, and yeah, I mean, obviously I'm coming at it not having seen the rest of the season yet. So I maybe maybe you can make that argument especially thinking about like the christmas episode and stuff um which was sort of her mm -hmm. coming to grips with okay yes i do want to travel with the doctor i want to you know continue um seeing yeah. sights and not, you know all this kind of stuff um but i feel like the trend to this point you know sort of the counter argument to what you're suggesting is that the trend at this point is that Clara has become more and more doctor-like and that suggests not being passive to me. Right. So just sort of a, yeah. a counterpoint there to that. But. Yeah, no, it does um, seem to kind of go against the trend of the character, like you said. Yeah. Um, and certainly goes against her nature because that is the opposite of what you know, she's like, she's not someone who um, is generally sort of easygoing in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, maybe, well, and this, I, I think, so the more we talk about it, like the more, and I realize like we've even talked more than maybe we were expecting to we about should it. Have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the more I think about it though, like that's part of why I think I didn't like it either. And I didn't, I didn't think of it quite in the same way as you as her being passive. I just felt like there was 
you know, yeah, I mean, I guess passive is a good way to describe it, but just that, like, she didn't do a whole lot. So it was just mm -hmm. like, and the things that she did do, it was just like, they didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, pointing the stick at Missy for her to just, right. like, take it away from her and stuff. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't, I guess I'm just saying I don't like her stuff. Yeah, like sure. you, you haven't convinced me, and I'm, I'm <laughs> guessing you haven't wholly convinced yourself either. <laughs> um, well, I think it's worth thinking about. I'm not convinced that that's what this episode was getting at. You know, sure. Um, I like I, I still feel like those things that annoy you still annoy me. Um, even after I've seen it a couple times. Um. So, you know, I think, I think those are things worth thinking about for the character going forward in the season. Um, and maybe this episode isn't necessarily, I think this episode just isn't the most successful use of her character, really. Um, yeah. You know, and maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's like when you have the Doctor and Missy and Davros and the Daleks you know, maybe she just got crowded out, you know? Um, there's already a lot of strong personalities. There's like a lot of really, yeah, really kind of uh, take charge kind of people. Well, um, okay, so here's the other thing that bugged me. Okay. And I was just reminded of it as we were talking. So not just the passivity, but like even like the stuff about like how to control the dollar. So right. like, like Missy has to tell her like, oh, it's, you know, telepathic, you know, so you just think it and it mm -hmm. works. It's like, well, if Clara's already trying to like turn the Dalek, she's already thinking about turning the Dalek. So why didn't mm -hmm. it work already? You know, mm -hmm. like, like little things like that. Or she wants the Dalek to open so she can get out like somewhere and all of that. She wasn't thinking like. Gosh, right. I really wish this Dalek would open so I could get out. Right. You know, right. like if all she has to do is think about it, then that should be enough. Right. Um, right. Or like when the doctor has to tell her think to open, like, all right, you right. can figure that out by now. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah, if I she think... knows that it's telepathic already. Yeah. Like, okay, I can understand maybe like, maybe the initial information, like Missy saying, oh, well, it's telepathic. And then, and then Claire can be like, oh, okay. Oh, let me think. Mm -mm, get out. Let me go. Oh, okay, cool. That's how I open it. All right, let's go. Now I know how to open it. Let's yeah. move on. Like, I right, feel like that right. should. I feel like Clara in other instances would have figured that out very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe passive isn't quite as uh, accurate as like helpless. Yeah. Like, because because passive can be like, like a good thing in the sense of accepting, you know, if we're looking at the hanged man, that feels like a positive thing, like accepting, you know, your world and your situation and, and learning to let go of things and all that. But like, this never really feels positive. It feels like sort of helpless. And I feel like we're used to Clara and the companions by now being able to figure things out on their own more so than she does here. Um, and it's Especially just given the opening. 
Right. Right. Like, and it's yeah. and it's just one situation after the other. It's not even like one situation she can't get out of. It's like the whole episode is filled with things she's just getting shoved into and can't get herself out of. Um so it I agree. It is uh frustrating where she's concerned, I think. Um, um so And and I guess the just the final thing to talk through with Clara and Missy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ultimately, they're only there, both of them, to sort of have Missy revive the doctor at the end. Or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, revive isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Like to help, help, mm-hmm. to help him at the end. You know, like... And that's it. <laughs> like for both of them. Mm-hmm. Like... I don't know. I just, I, yeah, it it's a little weird on all grounds, but like, um, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess also, you know, you have in the storyline, like, like, I feel like there was much more and, and each of them were much more interesting last time where you have like mm-hmm. the first half of the story sort of focusing on them and getting yeah. to the doctor. And then yes, the doctor sort of takes over, but they're not although they're kind of like sidelined and trapped, like they get themselves out. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. they you know, they escape and they go out on their own and they're like facing the Daleks, like both of them, each of them together and like yeah. Clara isn't just passive. She like does try to run and okay, get zapped, but you know what I mean? Like right. like yeah. at least she's like doing something about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like as far as their characters go, it's like they had, maybe, maybe that's the problem is like, they had a really good first half of the story for them, but mm-hmm. then like, they didn't really, you, you know, whoever wrote it was a Moffat. <laughs> like Moffitt, didn't yeah. really know what to do with them afterwards. And it's right, like, well, right. I still have them here. What right. can I do? Well, I can spend an entire episode of having them wander around and Clara doesn't do much. And then Missy's there to help the doctor out at the end. <laughs> and I feel like in saying all that, you put your finger on the inherent danger of two-parters. <laughs> sure. Like, and, and we've got a season of them. Some <laughs> pairs work better than others. Some of them, uh, I, this is not the strongest pair of the season by any stretch. I don't think. Um, so I, I'm not saying they're all going to be flawed in that way, but I feel like usually when two-parters drag, that's the reason. It's like, you know, it's either like bad pacing or like exactly that. Like you have characters which were useful to you in maybe part one, and then you don't know what to do with them in part two, or you're kind of saving them for something, but you can't have nothing for them to do in the meantime. Like. Right. It's just more complicated with like figuring out where the pieces are all supposed to go. Well, so and like I can, it see- could that could just be a big old pacing problem, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I see. Um, you know, I can see like the first, uh, you know, the first half, like the story of reintroducing Missy, and maybe she becomes, you know, I assume we'll see her again at some point during this season. Like it seems like a waste not to have her reappear again now that we're, you know, uh, you know, now that we've already seen her several times or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. um, 
Like, I can understand that, too, but maybe it would have been better to just, like, okay, like, she helps get Clara to the doctor and then goes off on her own. It's like, right, all right, he's right. yours now, deal with it. Um, right. To have her sort of, sti- you know, sticking around mm-hmm. uh, maybe is part of the problem, too, because then you can do, you can, then you have Clara can, you know, do that stuff. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're second guessing, or I am, anyway, second guessing and you know, how things could have been and all of that. Right, so maybe right. maybe it's time to move on and talk about actually the Doctor and Davros okay. themselves. Because um, I do find a lot of their bit interesting yeah. as well. Um, so there's sort of several games going on here, right? It's like the, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, I just saw, I, I just saw the second part of Mocking Jay with um, mm. my daughter. But the, you know, we um, we with both my daughters, and so uh, leading up to it this weekend, we did we did a marathon of the first three movies because my youngest daughter okay. hadn't seen them yet. Because I, I mean, the first one came out when she was like six or something, so you know, like yeah, that would have been a little too young. But she's she's almost it? eleven now, so like yeah, you know, yeah. she can she can handle that stuff a little bit. She doesn't need to see um, like Prue or not not Prue, not Prue. You, you, Rue, you were I I mixed up Prim and Rue, Rue and Prim. Yeah, yeah. she um, doesn't need to see Rue like impaled in the stick and all right. that. Right. Um, well, now she does because she's almost eleven. But now she can, not when she was six. <laughs> um. So anyway, the 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 thing that I was going for was, you know, you have um, Philip Seymour Hoffman who plays the game maker in the you know last couple of movies, um, yeah. or actually, he's in Catching Fire too, um, where he, uh, you know, he keeps talking about moves and counter moves, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's like the inaccurate description here of like the Doctor and Davros. Um, mm-hmm. That was a really long way to explain that concept but um yeah just that there's you know there's stuff going on here and like um even again going back to the last episode where the doctor you know decides he's going to go with colony sarf and uh you know you have missy saying like you know this is a trap right like and i was like yep yep i know like yeah and she's like but you know you know this is a trap <laughs> like don't go yeah. like you know what does missy say like it, you know i uh, traps are my floor play or something like that or whatever yeah, yeah, she right, says. Right, right. um oh no not foreplay flirting very different uh <laughs> slight, slight difference. A, a little a little before the foreplay uh right you know and, and so she you know she's like trying to convince him not to go because it's a trap and so you know again this this is so this leads right into it, right? There's like no time that's like mm-hmm. passed between last episode and this one. So we know that right. like that's still fairly fresh and the doctor sort of seems to get that this is a trap of some kind and remains very skeptical yeah. uh, throughout. Um, but the conversation, um, I wanted, I wanted to talk about like we get, you know, we get sort of the commentary of Missy and uh, 
Clara that we talked about and Clara saying, well, you know, the doctor's clever and makes you, well, there's lots of clever people, you know, what, why does he, you know, specifically always win? Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like that, 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 like, we're getting that as like the story, you know, at the Mm -hmm. beginning to like help Clara and Missy and like, you know, it's like, oh, what lessons can we draw from the doctor to save ourselves? But it's also like, setting us up because it's like well we should be remembering that that's the doctor too like throughout the doctor's part of the story right um and you know the fact is like here like we're learning like one the deck the doctor doesn't quite i mean he does win in the end but there's also like Mm -hmm. like his regeneration energy is used to like revive all of the Daleks and Davros. Mm-hmm. So like, right. there's a very real sense in which he doesn't win too, in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think one of the things that I find interesting about it is that there's just like this, <clears throat> well, and we'll get to sort of the ending too, with him going back mm-hmm. uh, and saving young Davros because, because there's, there's very much, a sort of intertwined uh, thing going on here where it's like the doctor, you know, I don't want to use the word bittersweet because I think that has sort of different connotations, but like, um, I don't know, Pyrrhic victory doesn't seem to quite work either, but like maybe something along those lines, like if there's some other term to like sort of describe somewhere in between those two things, like mm-hmm. that there's that there's very much victory without victory going on. Right. Sort of in right. this whole thing. Um, or like in order to when he had to make a huge sacrifice to do it, like, yeah. like the only way, you know, he... He obviously knew, you know, that this was the plan. You know, it's that kind of I anticipated your anticipation of the right. thing, and like, you know, but <laughs> but in order to, but in order to actually like convince Davros that he's believing it, he has to actually do it. You know what I mean? Like, like because it seems to me that part of the plan is to give the regeneration energy so that the sewers will revolt. Um, but he can't just do that. He has to give it to the Daleks and Davros as well. So, like, in order for the victory, you have to, like, sacrifice, like, one of your major pieces of the chessboard or something sure. to do it. Sure. It, um, right. You know, never never play a game of chance with a Sicilian kind of thing. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, I don't, I don't maybe I'm dwelling on it too much already, but like, I I just feel like that there's this, uh, you know, that there is this aspect of, you know, and you get the, you get the running conversation with it too. So, uh, and again, like, I don't know, I don't know a lot about sort of classic Davros and whatever. Sure. Did he always look like this in like the classic? Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. so, So like, this is, Davros as we Davros see him. Davros as we know him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess one one of the one of the things I want to talk about is um, like in the beginning we get the doctor sort of being very strong, and so first of all he like 
takes Stavros out of his chair and like, you know, steals it. And I I like Capaldi zipping around in the little <coughs> chair. Yeah, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, and you get him like sort of making demands of the Daleks and you know like asking mm-hmm. where Clara is and this and that. Um, but like other than that, like okay, so then oh there's Colony Sarf again and Doctor's mm-hmm. captured and all of that. So uh and apparently given the only other chair in on the <laughs> entire <Skara>. line, uh <laughs> It's like, like oh yes, yeah. we have this one folding chair in case company comes. Because <laughs> yeah, the, but just one of them, yeah. the only other chair on Scarrow. Yeah, uh, right. It's like who else has used that chair? Yeah, uh, who would have? No, and the, and it's like probably they can't find it's in somebody's basement somewhere. Like where was the chair? You know, we need you know who had it last? Right. Um, yeah, Send I one can of the imagine. Young down to pick it up. I can imagine many funny scenarios of them trying to you know, get the one chair on Scaro. Right. Um, um, so, but the, the, the running uh, conversation between the two of them is, is about compassion or mm-hmm. uncompassion, I guess, or, you know, mm-hmm. mercilessness, uh, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the opposite of compassion is there. Um, and and you know, Dabros sort of assumes. Uh, well, their conversation. So Dabros, Dabros says compassion. Then the doctor says always, and Dabros says it grows strong and fierce in you like a cancer. You know, yes, that's how I think of compassion. You know, as mm-hmm. a cancer. Um, and you know, the doctor, I hope so. It will kill you in the end. Uh, the doctor says I wouldn't die of anything else. Um, yeah. So. Which, fair enough, like, like, not the first time that we've seen the Doctor sort of be compassionate, but I also feel like this Doctor is one that we've grown to think of maybe as less compassionate than other Doctors. Mm-hmm. Maybe not less, com- mm-hmm. maybe that's at least less apparently <laughs> compassionate. Like, right. like right. he seems, he seems to be a little more hardened, uh, a little more wizened. Mm-hmm uh uh mm-hmm. you know as far as those things go and so um of course that's exactly what Davros starts to play on uh right you know with you know he the doctor starts actually sort of listening to him and 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 so you get the um like the congratulations uh when he says you know when he sort of when Davros congratulates the doctor on saving um mm-hmm. you know these people of Gallifrey, but remembering that this is right after he admits uh to all of the mass destruction that each of them have laid on the other's people, right, right. you know you slaughtered billions of my children, and I have slaughtered billions of your race, like oh, these are just two mass murderers having a friendly chat, you know right, <laughs> like. Right. Um, and of course, but again, you know, it's perspective. The doctor doesn't consider killing the Daleks mass murder. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, we've seen in, in most incarnations of new who, like, you know, most mm-hmm. incarnations of the doctor, like we've seen the fear and, uh, 
what that does and the desire to completely annihilate the race and the comparison uh you know of that to the doctor as a Dalek even just you know right in the last season where we've seen Capaldi as the doctor you know having that comparison um when they do the whole inner space thing right like that you are a good Dalek yeah 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 um Which, fair enough, like, that comparison doesn't necessarily go away. But I feel like the comparison here between him and Tavros is maybe on a little firmer standing mm-hmm. in that respect. Because, because it, it like, okay, the Doctor didn't create the Time Lords, but they are his people. Just mm-hmm. like, so it's like they both have these armies, uh, you know, although... The Gallifreyans aren't actually the Doctor's army, but they're you know, I, what I don't know. It's collateral damage on the one side, but you know, they both want to basically completely annihilate the other right, right. civilization or whatever you want to call that. Um, mm-hmm. So the comparison here is very much between the between those two, the two who are sort of you know, trying to, you know, the Daleks are the one thing that Doctor doesn't have compassion for. Right, uh, right. And so, so I guess that's took me a long way to sort of get to that, to saying that, but like, that's where, mm-hmm. that's where I feel like, so it's interesting then, I guess, that in the end, the Doctor does have, or at least seems to have, compassion mm-hmm. for the creator of the Daleks. Right. Even though, the you know you would think that like if he doesn't have compassion for the Daleks themselves, there would be even less compassion for their creator. Yeah. Um, but of course, Davros plays on that, and you know, so he right. he does things like like saying, "Hey, you know, good job you for finding those Gallifreyans again." And not only that, but then he goes on to. Um, like not harp on it but like double down on it in a way like Mm -hmm. like actually you know i really am uh complimenting you because you know and he says that's where he gets into you know a man should have a race a people an allegiance uh a man should belong doctor believe me please i am happy for you so happy and that's where the doctor starts to actually think like or seem to think that uh this really is something different this isn't just yeah yeah like like davros really is dying and and so i know you wanted to talk about davros's sincerity um and we it took us a while to get here but sure um yeah i i think it's kind of possible um to read it you know a couple different ways. I mean, the, the the way I kind of like it is that neither of them has to be insincere for them also to be being calculated in the in the scene. If that makes sense, like I feel like they both have ulterior motives or plans. I guess, like I think Davros, like he said, like if he had to rip the doctor apart to get his regeneration energy, he would, but he doesn't. He first takes the route of, 
you know, kind of, uh, you know, showing him, you know, I think maybe potentially showing, telling him things he really thinks and maybe even showing genuine emotion. And he's sort of pleased that that worked, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, he doesn't mean what he said, you know, um, and vice versa. I think, you know, it's possible for the doctor to kind of suspect that, that this might be not, you know, there might be something else going on and ready with his plan to, in case he gets trapped, but that doesn't mean he's not necessarily genuinely moved by what Darvo says. Like, I think it's kind of interesting if they're both sincere in that moment. And then it's when it it's turns out to be like a double cross later that the doctor kind of says like, well, yeah, I had a feeling. And so, you know, I had sort of plan B in place already. Like, you know, he knew that the regeneration energy would backfire. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I... Like, I kind of feel like they play it the way the actors play it is as a genuine moment with, you know, one of them. Because, like, if Davros is genuinely dying and he and this is his way of saving himself, then he really is on his last, pardon my, the pun, on his last legs. And, you know, um, on his last wheels, you know, I, I kind of feel like he could be using the real emotion and fear he feels in that moment to manipulate the doctor but that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't feel those emotions or that you know like I think that is the one thing they maybe could relate to is their connection to their own people like like you said the doctor didn't create the time lords but you know he wants to save the time lords despite all the terrible things that they've done mm -hmm. um and you could, I think, make a perfectly good argument that the Daleks are even worse than the Time Lords. But, you know, there's still a connection there between them kind of wanting to, you know, I mean, it's like your your children do bad things, but that doesn't necessarily mean you stop loving them, you know. Um, and again, there's differences of degrees, but... Uh, yeah. That is a way, I think, in which they are kind of, they actually do have something in common. And I feel like you get a sense from the actors that they actually do bond with each other for a moment. Um, yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's right. And I think that there definitely is, uh, I mean, the way that I read it is kind of what you were saying, that Davros actually is dying here. And it might be one of those sort of paradoxical situations where he actually, maybe he really does in a sense wish on his dying, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I almost said dying bed. He's not in bed, but you know what I mean? Like on his last, yeah. you know, last breaths here, like maybe he really does wish that he and the doctor had been on the same side at one point or, you know, whatever, whatever, he says, you know, during that uh, sort of discussion, maybe it is true. And maybe it's one of those paradoxical things that it has to be true or else it would never work. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, by right. if he were lying, you know, maybe the doctor would be able to detect it. But because right. it actually is true, he's sincere enough. Now, 
once the doctor like gives him some regeneration juice and and sort of recharges him he's right. no longer on his deathbed so maybe he's not yeah. as you know like and that's also just as true like that doesn't necessarily mean that it's less true because he now has a different perspective right. i mean i think and i think that sort of thing happens a lot of times like you know, uh, there are plenty of times where you can, you know, sort of see examples of like people making declarations like on their deathbed or when they feel like things are as worse as they could possibly get. And then things get a little bit better, maybe a lot better. And those sort of declarations don't ever sort of come to fruition. <laughs> it's like, right. That's you, sort of the, the, the deathbed conversion, right. Of like, like, please, God, if I can survive this, I will give all my money to charity and like all that. It doesn't mean that's not sincere, but sure. when when you are spared, how often are do you follow through with those promises or those sentiments that you made? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, and some people I, I, do, some people don't. And, you know, I right. mean, I think there's, uh, I, you know, I... I would be hard pressed to say that Davros isn't in some sense sincere. Um, mm -hmm. Even if sort of in the back of his mind, he's still maybe kind of hoping that the doctor does this, you know, does give him sort of regeneration stuff. Now he does say too, like after the doctor sort of, you know, touches the coils or whatever, um, you know, he does say, Oh, you know, I thought I would have to like rip, your regeneration stuff from you. And it's kind of like, well, how would you have done that though? Right. You know, like. Right. Maybe, if you could have done that, wouldn't you have like, yeah, maybe, maybe it had to be freely given. It had to be a trick, you know? Um, and maybe, I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he's being a little boastful in that moment, or maybe he was putting on a little bit, like maybe he wasn't quite, as sick, but I still feel like there's a sense that he has to be as sincere as possible. Um, on the flip yeah. side, though, the doctor then says, well, I knew you were just joking. Or not joking, but, you know, like, I knew that it was a trick all along. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much I sort of ironically... I wonder how much that actually is true. Mm -hmm. Certainly, like the doc, I mean, Missy knew about the sewers and presumably the doctor knew about the sewers. Like, I mean, he, he certainly knows without like Davro saying anything to him about this, you know, the sewers and the sort of right. dormant, mushy uh, Daleks that are down there. But you know, so like, I, I mean, I think he sort of knew that, but was that really like part of his plan all along? Um, mm -hmm. Because first of all, the doctor came not knowing what like the trick was going to be. You know, like right. he he came to uh, Scarrow. He didn't even know it was Scarrow. So like, like it certainly if it was if that was his plan, it certainly mm -hmm. hadn't been around very long. Right, right, like, right. You know, the idea that this was like, it was like, oh, well, I'll just go to Davros and then I'll I'll trick him by letting 
him think that he's tricking me, but not really. Like, that's not really much of a plan. Like, no, this this has to have been like a very quickly formulated. Yeah, yeah. Plan. So I I feel like that. I actually think this might be the doctor, you know. And again, rule one, um, the doctor mm-hmm. lies. Like, this might actually be the doctor sort of retconning his own plan. <laughs> like, sure. Like yeah. you know, saying, okay, all of this energy is going into here. Crap. Oh, actually, it works in my favor because there's all those Daleks right. in the sewer. So, hey, guess what? This was my plan right. all along. Right. <laughs> well, and I think that, that, that brings us back to that like little d- scenario that Missy paints at the beginning of the doctor just assuming he'll find a way, he'll figure it out. As long as he can, there has to be a way you just have to go and find it. So, like, you know it's not necessarily his plan to be trapped alone and surrounded by hundreds of androids, but if he can find the one weakness and, and actually there's, you know, that's the way the magician's apprentice starts is with him saying to Davros, you know, okay, one chance in a thousand, what do you do? You concentrate on the one, Um, like all you need is one chance and you can do it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he has any of this figured out. But, like, the sheer combination of luck and, like, taking credit for things is, like, kind of his M.O. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah, and maybe it's in the moment that he realizes that this will work. And then, but he can act like that was sort of the plan all along. Right. Um, so. Oh, go ahead. No, I think. I think I was finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, uh, you know, I, I, so again, moves and counter moves and, mm-hmm. um, I'm not always sure that those moves and counter moves are that well mm-hmm. thought out ahead of time. Um, maybe they are, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the nice aspects is you can see both, Mm-hmm. Like you could say, okay, maybe the doctor is more of a talker mm-hmm. in most cases. Maybe not particularly this doctor, but um, just in general, like you know. Well, there, there's that line. Is it is it Matt Smith's regeneration when he's like very old <laughs> and he's going to confront the Daleks? And it's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. Talk fast. Hope something good happens. Take the credit. Right. Like that. That's usually how it works. And I, that's the like unknowability of the doctor that I like that you can imagine it both ways. Like you can imagine the mastermind doctor who has his moves planned out like a hundred in advance, or it makes just as much sense to have the like fly by the seat of your pants take credit for things that aren't yours, doctor. You know. And I feel like both are equally plausible and like that's kind of one of the the fun aspects of the character i think sorry that's my radiator turning on (laughs) no worries making a clanking noise um at first i thought maybe it was your cat like hitting (laughs) she does make noise no she's being quiet um so we're kind of out of time but um Two quick things I wanted to 
um, make sure to mention one being the uh, recircle around to the end of, of going back to young Davros mm-hmm. um, and it being kind of revealed that he doesn't go back to kill him, but to rescue him. And again, this idea of, I mean, back to the idea of Davros as the apprentice, that this being, he learns the concept of mercy from the doctor and maybe he didn't learn it very well, but there's some notion of it inside him. Um, and I like the idea too, that it it is, like, you know, there's so much emphasis from Davros of compassion is the doctor's downfall. It's it's falling for Davros's trick, you know, and being empathetic that gets him in trouble. But that's also what rescues Clara in the end. You know, that sure. if he hadn't introduced this concept of mercy, that is the thing which ends up, you know, rescuing her. If he had abandoned... Davros, you know, the, the, the consequences, you know, would have been potential. I mean, you don't know what they would have been, but potentially they would have been worse than, you know, the thing you're trying to prevent. That's always, that's usually how it goes. The thing you're trying to prevent ends up happening by you're trying to prevent it. Um, and so no matter what Davros ends up doing, it's still better to show mercy sure you know which i think is kind of a nice you know it that kind of validation of the doctor's compassion in the end that it's there's a reason he's compassionate it doesn't always have to be the impractical stupid thing that gets you killed you know it's actually the thing which can save people as well so sure and then the other thing I do want to mention quick is this uh, kind of a, a mythology point about the hybrid, um, you know, which we don't get any real information and don't get any confirmation of, but Davros speculates that um, this is why the doctor ran from Gallifrey in the first place, is that there's this prophecy of the hybrid. It spoke of a hybrid creature, two great warrior races forced together to create a warrior greater than either. Is that what you ran from, Doctor? Your part in the coming of the hybrid, half Dalek, half Time Lord. So, you know, this is not a classic Who thing. Um, This is a new bit of mythology. So, but, uh, you know, I won't say how big a part it will play in the season, but it will not be the last time we hear about it. So I want to make sure that we mention it. Fair enough. And... You know, the idea of prophecy is an interesting one when you're thinking about time travel and that kind of thing. So, yeah, who's making this prophecy and who's, you know, fulfilling it and all of that. Yeah. 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 And and the the speculation here is that it's half Dalek, half Time Lord. But as Missy points out, Clara sort of makes a hybrid in this episode with, you know this sort of human in a Dalek shell. And, you know, if Missy's kind of saying the enemy inside the friend, the friend inside the enemy, does that make her a kind of hybrid? And like, so already we're sort of have several different theories about what the hybrid could be. So sure. um, it's just sort of an idea to keep our eye on, I think. Yep. yep. Well, speaking of people who have prophecies, Angel. Yes. 
Angel. Angel. So, uh, yeah. We don't hear anything about the prophecy in this particular episode. But no, but he... There are prophecies around him. Part of a Part of a prophecy. Um, we just don't know what part he has to play. No. And apparently <laughs> Wesley is part of something, too. But I'm not going to talk about that oh, right oh, now. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. getting ahead. Um, first, I wanted to start with the kind of, I guess, situation. It's not really a metaphor of the week. It's more like a, like you said, it's just like a situation of the week. You know, guest guest stars of the week. Um, mm. um, you know, because I think they obviously have a big part to play in this episode, but seem to be a self-contained plot to the, like this is a, definitely a more of a standalone um, yeah. from what I can tell. Well, and it's um, an interest. So we're seeing, you know, okay. So this, the, it is standalone. Um, one, I think it's, you know, so we get a good opportunity to kind of see angel and the host, yeah, uh, you know, get more action than just like going like oh the host does leave Caritas every now right. and then like yeah, yeah. Um, so there's some stuff there which I think also goes to show just that uh, you know there's some uh, you know just the fact that we're seeing the host sort of in this bit bigger role than just kind of like the guy who tells you your aura. Yeah, um, no, he's easily my favorite aspect of the episode, so. I think. Um, yeah. But, so, yeah, I want to spend more time on them because obviously they're more important characters. So I wanted to start with Jean um, so we can sort of go through that. Um, so the situation is sort of... Um, you know, kind of vaguely stereotypical sort of geeky physics grad student, you know, which that kind of seems to be the idea of the plot is like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of playing up the stereotype, but in other ways kind of subverting it. So he, you know, goes by himself to karaoke bars and sings sad songs about how he's alone and he's always going to be alone and how terrible and he's afraid right. of being alone forever. But then you have this kind of subversion of he actually has a girlfriend and has a nice, you know, kind of normal looking girl. Like she's not, yeah. you know, she's not sort of um, superficially nerdy in that same way. Um, and so the kind of like interesting thing, which they never really... Um, you know, we don't get to know Gene that well to know all what's going on in his head is you're kind of sitting there thinking, why is he going to these bars singing these sad songs about being alone? Right. Like, it seems like kind of the idea is this idea of somebody who doesn't appreciate what they have, you know? So it's not just the kind of loner guy who is afraid of being alone and is going to like burn the world down because he's alone. Right. It's the story of somebody who that actually doesn't have to be them, but he can't see it for some reason. Um, right. it, like the fear of losing Denise is, you know, uh, clouds his ability to even realize that, you know, he has this relationship in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they play that up a lot. Like every, they they're only in a couple scenes, but, um, 
every conversation they have is just sort of awkward. And you can see why she's unsatisfied because it's like, you know, what's new? Don't know. Like they have nothing (laughs) to say to each other. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like you just get the sense that there's nothing to say to each other. Um, And she even makes a reference to like, um, you know, he's hollow or something like there's nothing. So again, I feel like you have this contrast of like the guy who goes to bars and sings soulful love songs and yet he's hollow. There's no, he can't, there's no feeling for her. It's just like for himself. Sure. Like he feels sad for himself in bars, but has none of that, like, you know, emotion when he's actually with the girlfriend. Right. Um. So I don't know really what to, I don't know that it's a real, it never gets deep enough to go into like a huge critique of like those stereotypes, but I feel like at least they're like subverting them somewhat. Like it's not just, Oh, look at the pathetic, you know, science geek. Right. It's more this kind of idea of like, he's maybe so wrapped up in that image of himself that he doesn't realize that that actually doesn't apply to him or it doesn't have to. Um, Yeah, it is. There is an interesting aspect there with, with, who Jean is because yeah it's like I mean like you said like it's not just like he has a girlfriend but I mean she's pretty attractive seems well adjusted Mm -hmm. but for some reason and you know I don't know like some people are just like that like that they just it doesn't matter you might have it all so to speak and yet still you know still sort of be sad inside or whatever you know however you want to sort of put that like it doesn't necessarily mean just because you're with someone that you're always happy like that's just the personality that you have um Mm -hmm. but you can also understand why someone doesn't want to be with someone like that very long right you know or well i mean they were together for a year i guess this is i mean the whole the episode is happy anniversary like that's the whole situation um whatever so yeah i mean i think there's i think you're right i don't i think it's all fairly surface though like i don't i don't know that there's like i don't think we need to delve into it too much deep you know too deeply Mm -hmm. so um but i think everything you said is accurate um i think the one sorry go ahead well the one other thing which i thought was kind of just from things that interest me point of view um I like that in his experiment to stop time, he uses mercury um, Mm. because that's like a very alchemical image, like mercury being like the sort of, you know, the hermetic tradition is sort of alchemical. Um, And because it's all about change, like mercury doesn't sit still. It's like, you know, Mm. if you put it in a dish, it sort of separates and then congeals and moves around and is sort of vital in all these things. And so I like that, you know, the the time paradox experiment involves like stopping mercury. So like, you know, the the most dynamic thing you can think of, you know, you're going to use that to sort of sure. make make it so that nothing ever changes ever again. So that's a kind of nice symbol there. Um sure. And I think the host gets at that with his music ideas as well that like 
you know, that music isn't about holding one note. It's about, you know, life is in the change. Mm. Um, and there is no life that doesn't change. That is the antithesis of what life is. Yeah, right. um, and that means that you're going to have, you know, low notes and, you know, uh, times where you're not happy or where you have to deal with things that aren't, you know, enjoyable. But to, you know, eliminate the possibility of that is to, you know, stop life. Sure. You know, which isn't exactly good for you. Yeah. So um, I like that he uses mercury in his experiment. That's um, what I'm saying. There's also just sort of contrasting Gene with Angel, the idea of the happy moment, you know, the sort of his his point of stopping everything Right. It seems at the moment like, of climax. It, like that's that's the impression. Like I that too. that yeah. seems yeah. to be the very heavy handed sort yeah. of uh uh right. Although I don't know. I he seems to time that pretty well. <laughs> like I feel like in ten in, PM on the dot in, in, in actual, you know, field conditions right. that might right. you might not always be able to like you know, hit hit right. the note at the right time um, <laughs> to use the music metaphor again uh right right but yeah no i mean no but you're right there's a there's a echo of angel there in that it's like it, it for angel as well the moment of bliss is the dangerous thing of like you know that's the thing at least in the case with buffy that was sort of the thing which made him sort of go bad yeah. um and it's kind of the same thing with gene um, like obviously different, but like it's connected to that in well, the same way. And I think, so even just thinking, you know, so what are sort of the implications for Angel? It's that he can't ever find that happy moment, right? Mm -hmm. If As soon as he does. And, and we've talked about how it doesn't necessarily have to be sex, right? It can be right, right. contentment or whatever. Right, um, right. Which means that Angel, as we see him, is always broody and tortured um mm -hmm. gene is always sort of broody and tortured <laughs> but mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be and i think that's that's sort of the other you know sort of subversion i guess if you want to talk it's like maybe maybe that is sort of his natural personality to be that way but it doesn't have to be like they're you know sort of objectively speaking like he could find a way to not be that way um mm -hmm. you know yeah maybe 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 that's something he needs to work on um i think sort of the other subversion uh you know is that when like like you feel like if you know so yeah he doesn't go out and like want to you know destroy the world because he's sad and alone or whatever. Um, yeah. And when he finds out that that's what was going to happen, he's like sort of appropriately horrified by that. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. He was just trying to, you know, stop time for him and uh, mm -hmm. Denise. And um, now you can get into various consent problems with that. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, uh, you, you know, that is bad and, and whatever, but like, I do like, you know, talking about compassion, I do like sort of the moment of awkward silence when, like, he, like, realizes that and, like, 
Angel and Lauren are just kind of like, okay, so this is like the evil genius who was going to like end the world, <laughs> you know, like right, apocalypse, right. you know? Yeah. Like, and they're like, oh, it's, he's some criminal, criminal mastermind. And, you know, clearly that's not the case. He's just sort of, you know, yeah, he's well, uh, it, an experiment gone wrong. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's another much worse reflection of sort of his own, uh, egotism i guess you mm -hmm. know and like you know focusing on himself so much uh which is exactly his problems with you know denise yeah. is that you know he's not really paying attention to her and seems sort of like he's not willing to share with her or whatever you know whatever it is that she's looking for him to give he's not doing yeah it. And so this is like you know an extreme manifestation of that sort of thing yeah uh, yeah but not like, and I think this is the thing that um, I don't. You know, uh, a lot of people say, "Okay, well, selfishness is bad, and and that's fine." But I think one of the things that a lot of people jump wrongly to is the conclusion that selfish people are like trying to be evil, and it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just they're selfish. <laughs> and that right. doesn't mean that they're evil. It doesn't mean that they intend to hurt other people. They just think about themselves more than they think about other people. And maybe right. that results in hurting people, um, you know, at different times or whatever. But that doesn't mean that they're like, like what, if you pointed it out to them, what they were doing, mm -hmm. they might be like Gene is here and be appropriately right. appalled. Like, you know, it's just that it never occurred to them that the thing right. that they were doing was wrong. Um, and whether, yeah. you know, whether you like that or dislike that is a completely separate issue from that fact. Right. Well, that's what, like, so many people say. And I don't know that Gene ever rises to the level of villain in this episode. But, like, you know, a lot of people say, like, is the best villains have a, a motivation. You know, whether or not you agree with their motivation or condone their actions. It's like, it's like Davros. Like, if you confront Davros, he says, well... I love my people. I protect them. What's wrong with mm -hmm. that? You know, how does that, how am I different from you? Now there's clearly that's, there's a lot that, you know, is being left out of that, but he has a point of view, you know? Sure. So yeah, I do yeah. like that. Hitler he thought he was isn't... doing the right thing, you know, exactly. In his twisted so, brain. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I agree. I do like that Gene isn't, the mastermind he doesn't even necessarily intend to affect anything the way he does um like this is almost like he's the mad scientist who accidentally went too far um so yeah and and he is kind of suitably embarrassed at the end like like oh geez i didn't even realize like <laughs> you know offers them a beer to sort of you know make amends um so yeah i think that works pretty well um but i do want to talk more about angel and the host because they obviously uh are where more of the focus is with the character development um and yeah so with the host i i did like seeing him come out into like the show proper um and 
having like I, I think I've said I've been enjoying the character um so it's nice to sort of see him join up with the team a bit um you know and I feel like we've talked about how his he's been a little bit ambiguous you know they make reference to the fact that he's sent Angel on he says I sent you on a couple missions that turned out to be a little pointless and deadly <laughs> you know so <laughs> Yeah. You know, you could maybe, um, you know, wonder about what exactly his role is. But I think it's kind of interesting that then, you know, so Angel, for how many episodes now, has been putting aside his role as, you know, this champion for good and the guy who helps the helpless and everything. So, you know, what that means is that he's not going back to Caritas to, you know, ask for guidance and get his aura read and everything. Right. Right. And so I like that the host then takes it on himself to go find him. You know, like, again, we still don't know a lot about him. This could all be, you know, manipulative and everything. But it seems to me like that tells you something good about the host that, you know, he actually, he he's not just you know, he doesn't just sit back and wait for people to come to him looking for help. He actually has now gone out to help somebody or to help the world. I mean, he's helping himself, but you know, I right. get the sense that he actually does care about the wider world as well. Um, you know, it seems like throughout the episode, he actually has, he continues to have wisdom and insight to offer that this isn't just a purely selfish you know i'm gonna die and i need help but like you know the world is gonna end and i'm gonna do something about that mm -hmm. um so i like that about him and i like that he actually goes out and finds angel to do that yeah yeah and um so yeah so with the host you know i think I think a couple things like, yeah, like he at least says, you know, that he he sent Angel on those things in good faith. Um, and I agree that, like, it is nice to see him sort of going, going out and getting Angel. But mm -hmm. it is worth pointing mm -hmm. out that he he's sort of reluctant to go with Angel. It's like he kind mm -hmm. of feel like he seems to sort of feel like, OK, I've alerted you to this problem and now you should take care of it. <laughs> my job is done yeah. yeah like you're the champion and whatever so there is a sort of like like he you know he he does seem to come across as like oh okay this is like you know telling people there or a sort of thing like i i will be more than happy to let you know what's sort of going on but i don't want to actually be involved in it um right you know, and, you know, how you read that is whatever. But uh, I do just want to point out that, that that does seem to be sort of part of his character, too. Like, he's not, yeah. he, or at least he doesn't necessarily want to be, you know, Mr. Fighter guy. He He's much mm -hmm. happier to just sort of be, um, you know, the one who tells other people what needs to happen. Yeah. Or at least, you know, or whatever they need to know to you know, sort of match their future or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, 
Yeah, and I think you can see that in, like, when they do have fight scenes. He gets a couple punches in, but, like, what really stands out to me are when he, like, throws the chair and it hits Angel. Like, you know, so he's not, like, he he's not totally helpless, but he also isn't necessarily, like, the skilled fighter. You know, it's sort of, like, a co incompetent, like, trying to help. It's sort of Xander-like. Like, there's times where it's, like, He's trying to help and he ends up like causing more trouble than actually assisting. Mm. Um, and then the other part where like the one kind of skill he seems to have in the fight is when he hits his like high note and the demons like have to shield their ears and everything, um, which works, but like, it's not exactly what you think of as, you know, a fighter. Um, it's sort of like, well, here's this weird skill set I have that I can use to sort of defend myself. Um, it actually reminded me of when we were talking about Dawn with the snake and how, like, what if screaming is her superpower? You know, like, what if that is her defense sure. mechanism is screaming? That kind of reminded me of, you know, the host doing that reminded me of that in a way. Like, you know, maybe he knows he's not a fighter, but what he can do is distract you with a really high-pitched, you know, <laughs> vocal note. Right. And so, like, he'll kind of like you said, like in the reluctance to go along, he'll use the tools that he has, but they're not exactly fighting tools. Um. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, again, you know, just thinking about the name of his karaoke bar, Caritas, you know, heart, mm -hmm. like he's, he's mm -hmm. the feeler, he's the, you know, the mm -hmm. empath, but he's not right. the one to actually who wants to go out and do uh, things, <laughs> whatever those things may be. Um, right. He, he's a lot more comfortable empathizing and sort of pointing people in the right direction. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. So, but, and, but I like that, like, even though he kind of gets dragged along and Angel does most of the work with like the actual fighting and the stopping of the plan and everything, you still see him putting his empathy to use, you know, that like, and not just in the practical way of figuring out where Gene is and tracking him down and everything, but with actually like in between fights while they're riding in the car, he's trying to like get Angel to talk a bit and open up. Like he's kind of needling him like, all right, so what's going on with you? Why did you, you know, fire your friends? Um, you know, maybe you should try to see it from their point of view, like mm -hmm. trying to kind of get Angel to change his way of thinking. And then again with Gene, like, you know, it's really, I think, what, you know, the host says to him that makes Gene understand of, you know, you, you the wheel keeps turning, you can't stop it. And you have to, you know, not only just accept that, but see the beauty in it of like, you know, it's not just that, oh, this is inevitable, but this is how it should be, you know? And it sucks that bad things happen, but unless bad things happen, good things can't happen either. That there's a kind of a circularity to it. Um, you know, so I think it's nice that like you, it, he needed to be along for those things to happen, you know, to get Angel and Jean to sort of, 
change their minds a little bit, I think. Mm. And by the end, you do get Angel sort of starting to change his mind. Like, that's the most reasonable we've seen Angel in a really long time, you know, is when he kind of says, you know, maybe I did sort of leave my friends out in the cold. Um, yeah, well, and so, I mean, so, yeah, a couple points. The, you know, one thing with the host, I think one of the things that he brings to it, too, um, which we haven't really had since the oracles who were killed. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Right. You know, it, like you have the oracles and they're sort of the connection to the powers that be. Um, Cordy is in a way a connection to the powers that be, but it's sort of a one way thing. And she doesn't really understand other than like, oh, someone's in trouble. We need to help them. Um, right. The host seems to have like, especially since like, um, was it last week where we saw him like sort of giving the other three guidance? And so, and actually mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a parallel there too. Right. So it's like, he's almost a conduit between the two groups. Well, mm -hmm. between Angel and the, the group of three. So like, there's right, this sense right. of like, he's now seeing both of them. Okay. They came to him and he sort of was giving them what for. And now he's going to Angel and sort of giving him what for. But there's also mm -hmm. the connection that he has. Um, now, I don't, I don't know that we want to like look at it as a direct connection to like the powers that be, but he seems to know, like, like he keeps calling Angel a champion. Well, you know, how does mm -hmm. he know that? Like he must have some, you know, uh, his ear to some grindstone that, uh, you know, other people don't have because I mean, he uses it like, I just looked it up. I mean, he uses it like three or four times throughout this episode. He calls Angel a champion, you know. Well, all the mm -hmm. other champions I know are either dead or out of town or, you know. Um, right. Uh, but he repeats it again later. You know, he says, uh, you know, you pushed your friends away. You went from helping the helpless to hunting down the guilty. Blood vengeance is a luxury of the lesser being. You're a champion angel. I mean, you were at least. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's this there's this idea that, like, kind of like you said, like he's he's going out in the world, but also like he has a sense not just of like the earth, but like of the larger world of like other right. things that are going on, and that you know part of that might just be because that's part of his ability is to sort of see the future and see things. But he also seems concerned about it. Like, it's not like he just yeah. sort of is there noticing and knows things, but like, yeah, he also does seem to have some heart about it. You know, some, you know, right. like there, there's I mean, something. In a... Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm, I cut you off. The, it just, I feel like it, it, he even has more, um empathy than like the oracles did even though we know the oracles were sort of directly connected to the powers that be and we still don't know too much about the powers that be but we can kind of they're the ones sending these visions and and telling angel that he's a champion so you imagine that they are on the good side at least as far as we can tell and so even though in the way the host is less connected to that 
he seems a more compassionate figure than they did to me. Like they seemed very mm-hmm. detached in that godlike way of, well, I guess they're on the good side, but they're so far above it as to like kind of not make any difference. Like they're the kind of, you know, powers in the sky telling you to sort of, you know, martyr yourself on their behalf, that kind of thing. Whereas like the host seems like he does seem more, the fact that he's talking about trying to talk Angel back into being a champion for good implies Mm -hmm. to me that that's what the host wants and that that's the side he's on. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't seem like totally neutral to me. Um, Like it doesn't even seem like, like even more so of like, I don't even think he's true neutral in the sense of like, I would, you know, counsel everybody the same way, no matter who they are and what their motivation is. It seems like, and again, I'm speculating, I'm ready to be proven wrong, but it seems like he's sort of backing Angel. Like, like you know, you're a champion, this is what you should be doing, and I'm going to keep telling you it until you hear it, kind of a thing. Um you know, and not without reservations, like you said, he doesn't necessarily want to go along for the ride. But I don't think that's because he doesn't care about the outcome. I think it's because he just doesn't feel comfortable in that role. Um, right. And so that's my kind of sense of the character anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think even you know, even the sort of things that we see him say to other people, right? So, like, there's the bartender. He's like, uh, you keep plugging away in that novel, right. F. Scott. Art is its own reward. Like, like he seems right. to sort of be genuinely, well, you know, although that seems a very insincere comment in a way. But, like, also, sure. I mean, it, insincere in that it, it seems a very sort of Hollywood, you know, oh, you keep working on that screenplay, you know, like... Right, you know, right. kind of thing. But there's also a sense but, like, but the like, fact I do that, feel like, like art, is, yeah, I mean, like, art is its own reward. It doesn't matter if you're good or not. Keep doing it right. anyway. If it makes you happy, do it. Like, that's encouraging. Like, right. you know, F. Scott might be a sarcastic, like, kind of thing to call him. Like, probably he's no F. Scott Fitzgerald. But it doesn't matter because art is its own reward. So even if it never takes you anywhere, keep doing it because so like to me that seems kind of like positive in a kind of like who cares if you never get published if you love it you go do it like kind of a can-do sort of spirit um and there is a sense that like you know like clearly he's not like angel and cordy aren't the only ones who go there to like to go to caritas um you know to like have their auras read right like they you know lots of demons and some people it seems you know are there and looking for that sort of guidance from him and he seems now i you know we don't know what he's said to other people but i think you're right like i think there's enough of a sense that like that we've gotten from him that he's not going to say like oh yes go out and kill those hundred babies that you're meant to kill like you know to some demon or something like i feel like there's there does seem to be we, we i think we've seen enough of him that he does seem to have an agenda and a uh, uh, a good agenda you know mm-hmm. um and whatever and 
There is. So, you know, just sort of following up on that, that conversation where they have about, you know, where he says, Angel, you're a champion, or I mean, at least you were, you know, Angel follows up. He's like, well, what do you want me to tell you? And, and he, the host is like, everything. Tell me why you stopped caring. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I want to know everything so I can, and he says explicitly, so I can help you get back on your path. Like, mm-hmm. like, now maybe you could read into that, like, you know, part of his part of his abilities is that he wants to see people on their path, whether it's a good path or a bad path. Right. Um, right. And that's what I mean by more like a true neutral. Thing yeah. Of whereas I, I don't think that's what, right. And I, I that's think that's not the impression I'm getting. I don't, I don't think I, I get the impression that this is rare for him to leave Caritas and go seek someone out. Right. So like that means right. angel is special in that way. Um, right. And then Angel responds, like, you know, there's, like, another scene, and then, like, Angel responds, like, you know, mm-hmm. well, my problem is that I'm screwed, basically. Um, he, he says, I'm trying to atone for a hundred years of unthinkable evil. Newsflash, I never can. Never going to be enough. Um, and then, you know, we got Wolfram and Hart, and there's blah, 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 you know, uh, everyone's driving me crazy, so on and so on. Um, and so, basically, his his problem is that yeah as he sees it is that he's trying to seek redemption and he can't there's no mm-hmm. there's no amount of making up for the things that he's done in the past um mm-hmm. which is kind of true uh you can't like i mean literally like you unless you're the doctor or something you can't go back in time right <laughs> like you can't right, go right. back and and change it so you know there's this like it seems that angel is having this sort of um you know crisis of of confidence or whatever like that there's you know like there's a or not even confidence but like crisis of like uh existentialism or something because like it's like there's not even any point in doing any of this stuff because he can't ever erase it like there's no it's not like okay i have a hundred pounds worth of bad actions and i just need to do a hundred pounds of good action to offset the weight like that's not the way it works and you know the 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 host doesn't give him really a satisfying answer to any of that but that's at least you know, we get now like what Angel is doing and, you know, and he says that like, uh, you know, part of what he's going to do is, is kill Darla and burn down Wolfram and Hart and, you know, the rest of them don't see why that's a good thing. And so that's why he fired them and all of that. Um, Right. This is, you know, and the host has, the the host sort of answer to that is kind of um uh you know the the what is it wolf saying to the doctor like you shouldn't be alone <laughs> you know kind of things or mm-hmm. who i mean several people have said that like not just him right, but like right. um you know those those kind of conversations of like yeah, yeah you know okay, you kind of left your friends out in the cold and Angel's like, well, it's a lot colder in here and very snappy about it. But, um, and this is kind of the point you were saying before about like what, um, you know, what the host says about like the pauses and the music and, you know, Mm -hmm. the changes. Um, 
he says that to Jean, but also like even before he says that to Jean, he says to Angel, um, uh, oh shoot, I just lost it. Uh, you know, he says it's not always going to be this way, that, that there is going to be change. Um, oh, shoot, I just lost the, the reference here. Um, it's not always going to be this way. The song changes, unless of course we don't get there on time, in which case, blah, 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 you know, like, but, but, yeah. you know, it's very quick, but it's, it's, I think the, the, the parallel here and sort of the, again, I don't know that it rises to metaphor, but the, the construction mm -hmm. of like the situation of the week is that yeah, in a way angel is, looking to do kind of the same things that Gene is looking to do in that, you know, he's mm -hmm. trying to just stop all of the sort of uh, things that are going on with Darla and Wolfram and Hart. And what, how's he trying to do that? He's trying to kill them. He's trying to stop them, but it's also like, right. it, it's also stopping him. So like, you know, it's that idea right. of like, he's trying to like harden himself against the world and it's not, like that's just not the way it works. And so again, yeah. I like that the host is sort of the message for both of them in that, um, you know, he's saying to both of them, like things, things change, song changes the, you know, it, you're not always going to feel crappy and you're not always going to be, um, you know, part of, part of what makes it life is that change and, and all of that. So um, mm -hmm. Again, it's very it's much quicker with Angel, and it comes actually before sure. that part with Gene. But like, I feel like those are sort of the two parallels between them. Um, yeah. In addition to sort of the other things we kind of pointed out. Um, yeah. You know, in and I think Angel with and uh, with the the kicking out of his friends too, in in the same way as Gene didn't necessarily appreciate what. Uh, you know, he he's singing lonely songs while he has a relationship with Denise. Right. You know, why you is kind he going out Angel... to like these bars late at night when he could be home with his girlfriend or whatever? <laughs> right, singing songs about how lonely he is. You know, yeah. like that's the irony, and and so you have kind of Angel's forced isolation, which is totally self-imposed and contrived because he has these friends who are want to work with him and it's his own choice that they are, you know, that they've been sent away. Um, so, you know, the, the brooding, lonely, isolated angel is a kind of totally self-realized prophecy, you know, like if he would just let them, you know, help and have a real relationship, things wouldn't necessarily be this bad. Um, mm -hmm. He wouldn't even necessarily have to be in this crappy mood, you know, like so much of that is, is because he is making it that way. Um, and again, not that that prevents, you know, I mean, I think that's the fear for both Angel and Jean is to, is to let people in is to, uh, you know, kind of anticipate the inevitable loss of those people. So that's the sort of like, shove them away before they can you know go away kind of thing but you know but it's hard to feel too sympathetic about the lonely songs that they sing when they're the ones who are 
you know, doing the, the, the leaving in that case. Um, so that is a pretty good parallel. Yeah, and I think that it's nice that the host has a real role to play in that way, that he, you know, um, not just is the the bearer of the message that, oh, hey, this guy's going to, like, end the world, but also is the one who gets through to them and kind of helps them realize the error of their ways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't know how much, you know, it really is going to affect Angel yet. You know, but like he does seem to be like more receptive by the end. Right. Yeah. He at least starts to consider that maybe he, you know, went about it wrong, which is funny. Then it cuts to them partying, like just when he's maybe admitting that, you know, right. maybe, maybe I shouldn't have sent them away. They're finally starting to sort of find their feet without him. Um, so maybe we can switch over to them. Um, yeah. Because we don't get too much, but I think what we get is important. Um, so we had them last time finding an office space. So it kind of starts with them trying to set it up. And of course, it's like a complete mess. And, you know, they don't have, you know, any phone or electricity. And the people just like left all their stuff from last time. And, um, you know, and I, you get Cordy kind of trying to be upbeat and positive and the others sort of trying to get her to just, you know, brood and mope like them. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, Wesley's thing about, um, you know, he's like negative energy boy and he says, just sometimes you just need to wallow. Just let the depression <laughs> settle in silently. Um, right. So... And um, I like Gunn's thing, too, of, like, he puts flyers out, but we just slightly irritated almost 100 people. Like, that's all flyers do is, like, right. get on your nerves. Right. Don't really do anything. But it um, apparently, I mean, I guess we don't know that the flyers brought in the guy at the end, but, like, that seems to be Right, but they do get, yeah, yeah. They're getting some kind of um, exposure. Yeah, well, and so Virginia comes in with her supplies and then gives them a, a rich client um, who can kind of be their first. And I, I kind of like that we don't really see the adventure, you know, like it just could have cuts to Wesley doing the like, you know, Agatha Christie sort of yep. deductions at the end. Um, and very reminiscent of the unicorn and the wasp, I yep. thought. That scene when the doctor is going around like, it's you and he points at everybody in turn. And even with Donna, you know, and Cordy both being in the side, like snacking on stuff, like, yeah. like, like they're watching the movie, you know, those scenes were very similar. Um, but it's funny that we don't ever see the whole murder mystery. It's just no. like, we see Wesley's like, you know, inspector Poirot kind of thing yeah. at the end. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and it's, kinda... and it's the aunt, it's the like tiny little old lady, right. who's the, 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 the real killer. Um, and all Cordy has to do is sort of stand in her way and that stops her. And, and also like the, the similar to how, um, Gunn and Wesley, you know, fought the fire breathing, whatever, like the, you know, right, right. they didn't actually like show that they just kind of implied. Right 
heavily, right. you know, about it. Yeah. So. Right, which kind of makes me wonder, are we going to get a, a big, you know, uh, like episode sort of based on them actually doing stuff? Or is it, you know, is that because the show is called Angel? And so we're just going to kind of cut away to, well, like, meanwhile, what the others are doing. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure what what to expect there. It's kind of. As much as I would like to see a whole episode around it, it is kind of funny to just cut to them, like, finishing, like, tasks and never actually, like, see them do right, it. Right, right. Um, there's something kind of funny about that. Yeah. Yeah, I I won't say one way or the other, you know, obviously, but um, it is, I, you know, I think, I think one of the nice things, though, too, here is that, like, you're getting you're getting confidence building right you're getting right. the three of them like oh actually we can do stuff <laughs> like uh yeah you know which maybe they each have had more or less as we've gotten to know the characters you know like certainly like wesley's confidence level was way high when we first see him in angel but like Mm-hmm. his actual ability <laughs> what didn't sort of match what his confidence level yeah. was and that kind of thing um you know and i think cordy has been uh just sort of steadily growing in confidence and yeah. and stuff you know throughout the series so um you know the fact that she's sort of taking it on herself to you know find a space for them and try to drum up clients you know, not right. just as whatever. And like, when's the last time we actually heard her talk about her acting career? Like, we saw the funny video, right. you know, in in right. the um, you know, a couple episodes ago. But like, that was like, who knows how long ago that video was recorded? Right. Like, we haven't... Uh, even the fact that I think I think they deliberately had her with long hair in that video, which implies that that's a like long time a, ago. Like, yeah, she's had her. Yeah. she's had her short hair for a little while now so yeah. like it means that's it's not last week yep. um right and so just like that energy that she used to be putting into like sending out uh you know videos like that maybe um you know now she's sort of pouring into this mm-hmm. whole thing um and and you know again being successful like they end up like you said, they sort of are having a party at the end. I'm not sure where all like like where are all these friends when they like needed help moving these in. people. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um but you know, whatever. Uh so yeah, like I think I, I don't know that we need to spend a ton more time on them, but definitely there's a sense of their bonding in a way that like they couldn't even do when Angel was around. Almost, mm-hmm. you know, so like mm-hmm. And not to say that that's, uh, you know, necessarily Angel's fault or anything, but I do feel like, like, actually, if we're going on the whole, you know, energy sucking vibe, like, this is like, what happens when you're not around an energy sucker, <laughs> you know, like, right. if if Angel sort of fits that bill, um, I know, you know, that comment is made toward about Gene, but, right. But Gene and Angel are paralleled. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's a good argument to say that, like, Angel is definitely a bit of an energy sucker as well. So, uh, Mm. yeah, anyway. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. And I did kind of notice that, that, like, they, 
it seems like they do end on a note of starting to um have like confidence in themselves apart from because like there there's the last bit about you know which one of you is angel it's just a name like you know they, they've kept the name but they don't need the signifier anymore it doesn't they don't need angel in order to be angel investigations that the name doesn't you know mean anything in that way it's it's what we're gonna bring to the table and not like you know just riding on angel's coattails so right. it seemed like that was sort of the just when angel starts to wonder whether he's really done the right thing they're actually starting to maybe feel good about the way things have gone so of course you know i'm sure that's setting up for some you know tables have turned kind of situation of like you know now it'll be angel looking to get back together and maybe they'll be less inclined to do that so that's my guess anyway well i think um unless you had anything else for angel here i think we're probably good to wrap up yep nope i think we're all set all right well we'll be back with uh the start of another two-parter i guess with dr Who, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh the next episode of buffy so all right see you then mm -hmm.